So as we come to the third day, okay, always remember that scripture come into your minds, your heart, because we look into the word of God, ultimately the great redemption is on the third day. And at the end of the third day, eternity begins. There is no time and God will be our father and our king and we'll live with him forever and ever. So this morning before, as we go to the word, we'll again read that portion we read uh, yesterday, but from that versions which have it, Matthew 17, verse 19 to 21. Matthew 17, <coughs> verse 19 to 21. You remember that's the incident where that little boy was afflicted with a demon and physically manifested with a disease. So remember, there are two things. One, there is a spiritual in, uh, affliction and a, and a physical manifestation. Not in all diseases, but in many. Okay? Probably when we go to heaven, we'll see probably all. So I can't make that statement. Only God can make that statement. But... Almost everything has a spiritual root. Okay, so in this case, there is a spiritual root and a physical manifestation. And God always deals with the spiritual root. And here it is demonic. And the disciples couldn't do it. And Jesus did it. And when they come to him and privately ask his question. Okay, go ahead. Then, then came the disciples to Jesus and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, because of your un- unbelief. For truly I say unto you, if you have faith as grain of a mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. However, this kind does not come out but by fasting and prayer. With prayer. Okay, so three things Jesus talks about it. Three things. Remember, those three are fundamental things. Actually, you know, I'm, I'm, to the young ones, okay, young ones who go to school and all, no, what I will tell you is start it slowly, but let it ultimately become a discipline of life. For the carnal man, eating is discipline. For the spiritual man, fasting is discipline. Nobody has to tell anybody to eat because it naturally comes to the natural man. But you have to be told to fast because it's not natural to the natural man, but it is natural to the spiritual man. What you do is that if you suddenly try doing it, then you go to school and all that, you will feel tired and weak if you are not used to it. What you start is by cutting down on your breakfast for a few days. Eat lesser so your body gets used to it. Body get. I'm telling you, if you get this discipline, it will stand you all the days of your life. There are spiritual disciplines which God's children will require to come through the entire process of what is called the last days. Okay? But here when we look at it, Jesus talks about primarily three things. He says there is an affliction, it is spiritual, manifested in the physical, and the disciples ask, why couldn't you do it? Uh, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus first gives the first reason. He says, because of your unbelief. He says, the first thing to tackle things in life is you need faith. You need faith. So the first thing he says is, you need faith. And faith comes from hearing. And hearing from the word of God. So the first thing all of us need is the discipline of putting God's thoughts above our thoughts. First thing is putting the word of God above everything. The word of God. Don't make it into a religious thing which every religious person of every religion 
exalts his word of his God. So you will see, you know, you will see on the road at Banpali those little things which are sold. That is to keep their God and the book. Okay, the Muslims are very, very, very careful about how they handle their their Quran. Oh my gosh, they will not put it on the floor or anything. They won't carry it like the way we carry it in our New Testament in the back pocket and all. They won't do any of those things. They are very, very particular about that book. But the Bible is not talking about about this. The book, the printed, the, the the book you carry in your hand. It is talking about exalting His Word in our mind. That is from where faith comes from. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of God, the word of God which you are hearing, continuously allowing it to change our thinking. So the first thing God takes about it is so many of the issues we face in life, we are not able to stand, we are not able to see it through, we are not able to face it, we are not able to overcome it. He says the first reason is because of unbelief. He says nothing is impossible for the one who believes. He says, the first thing he says, you can, you know, you can go through any crisis, either the crisis moves away or the, you stand until the crisis is over, but you don't fall, you are not defeated if you have faith. If you have faith. And he says, the first thing he talks about there is faith. The second thing he talks about is fasting. And the third thing he talks about is prayer. And you need to realize, all these three require humility. If I have to listen to somebody else, I need to be humble. I need to be humble. Otherwise, you cannot listen to somebody's voice. I mean, our, this is where God says he gives grace to the humble. And you need to realize, we saw yesterday, fasting is the way of which you humble yourself. Okay? The first thing is that, God, give me a heart that I, if I hear you are speaking even through a child. See, our major issue is our attention disorder is actually got to do with pride. And we think we are distracted. We are not distracted. Our distraction is caused by pride. Because if you go to a meeting and from the beginning till the end, your ears are open, you will hear God speaking through the worship leader. And most people don't even hear what the worship leader said or the, what the song said. And if you were to ask you, did were you ministered by God through the song, you are not very sure. Okay. No, because if you listen to worship leaders, God speaks to the, through them. Okay? If you listen to the one who is praying, God speaks through them. And if you listen to the preaching, God speaks through them. Okay? Our major issue with attention is because the old man is very proud. He doesn't want to listen to anybody. He would rather hide from God than stand before God and acknowledge, look, I need to hear from you to get out of my crisis. Okay, so understand, our major issue is that, that we are not able to hear. And we approach God with the saying, Lord, I may be proud without me knowing. So I humble myself before the Lord today that I am able to hear. I am able to hear because God speaks. God speaks through children. God speaks through creation. You know, he says he speaks through all kinds of different situations, but what if I am not able to read it? What if you, if I am not able to, to hear it? Okay, so the first thing we need humility is to hear, because faith comes from hearing, and faith will handle almost like, I, I can't put a percentage, but a large percentage of the troubles we will face in our walk. Faith will handle it, because that's the reason we need faith, because faith is the currency of heaven. 
Most Christians will not have a lot of money which can solve a lot of problems. But God says you can have a lot of faith which can solve problems even money cannot solve. Okay, he says we need faith. And the thing is that we need, like I said, our major issue is of listening. That's why I, I tell parents the first thing you have to teach your child is to listen to you. And when the child is disobeying and even when it is cute, don't laugh. It won't be funny when they grow old. Now it looks very funny. Okay? When the child says, no. And you say, oh, so cute. It's not cute. When it's 18 and says, no, I'm not going to do what you say. And it's the same habit that is crass. Because only the body has grown and looks different. That's the only thing. Okay? So the first thing you have to teach your child is to obey. Submit your will to my will. And that is where punishment comes. That is where the rod of discipline comes. Okay, where you have to, I mean, don't discipline your child in your anger. Please don't discipline your child in anger, okay? But you have to discipline your child. And when you discipline your child, don't discipline your child in a way where you demean a child. Because a child also has its self-respect, though you may not realize it. Meaning, never use your hands on its face. The face should always remain beautiful, a place to kiss. And not to hit. Okay, let it be on the rear end where the child doesn't see what it looks like, but feels like what it is like. Okay, but don't, no, always. I can always use, don't use your hand. Like I've no, I've spoken it over and over again, but use a something that is not part of you because hand should be to love but the stick should be the rod of discipline and when it grows older you know or you often you may not have when the child starts getting attached to things you can remove that from that child's life for a period of time it becomes the rod of discipline okay rod of discipline instead of the stick you don't have to use the stick for too long okay but the key is this a great man of God said it this way. The key is that you have, when the child is very, very small, and first thing, remember, for husband and wife, father and mother, be one. Don't be two when it comes to anything, or especially these things, because then it works. Really, really works. See that during the young days of this age, the child is so attached to you. Attached to you. And that comes from spending time with the child. So attached to you that you're separating yourself from the child is a deeper punishment for the child than anything you can do to the child. That is why when the children are very, very small and we look shocked and we are upset, they cry. You don't have to do a thing. The minute they realize the father or the mother is upset, they cry because they realize the father is upset. Okay. That is how you become sensitive in the spiritual realm where you know your father is upset and you are, you are upset. Everybody is fine in the kingdom of Israel, but David knows his father is upset. And therefore he is upset. There is a father grieving over there, there is a son grieving over here, and the prophet is sent to minister. Okay, that is how you, you look at the things in the kingdom and say, you know what, I'm going to apply it over here and my child is, uh, the child is very close to me and the child's will will be bent to my will as my will is bent to God's will. That's how it works. Okay, that's where it all this thing comes from because why do I have to hear your word? We, the very famous 
portion we know. I mean, we know. GTC knows. And in most of the churches I have gone in this, this 2018, I can almost say 99.99 of the churches, nor the pastors knew those verses, which is very familiar for you. Hundreds and hundreds of churches and pastors. Nobody has a clue that the first statement Jesus makes when he comes into heaven is in Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. So the first thing that's mentioned about Jesus saying, I have come to do your will. But how do I know your will? It is written in the scroll. It is written in the scroll. Okay. So Jesus is incredibly humble because he is bending his will to the Father's will. And how do you know the Father's will? It is in the word. So that's why we're here. That's why we're here. We're here because the only way I can bend my will to the will of God is by finding out what is written. It is written over here. Okay. If you look at the book of Job and Job, there's an attitude to this book. Job 23 and verse 12. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. Hmm. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary words. I have... Read that last part once again. I have... I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Necessary food. Okay. Like we... Our body craves for food. Right? When we are hungry. But here is a man, Job, saying, my body craves for your word. Okay? In that portion we read from Hebrews, there are four things that is statements that are made over there. The first statement is, you are not interested in religious sacrifices and offerings. You are not. Second thing is that you have given me a body. Third thing is that I have come to do your will. And the third, fourth thing is that I find your will in your book. I have a body, you have a book, and I have come to do your will in this body. And that is where I long for your word more than I long for food. Because suddenly you realize your body is your worst enemy and your best friend. It is both. Your worst enemy because your body can be the stumbling block to doing the will of God. On the other hand, without the body, you cannot do the will of God. So God doesn't say kill your body. He says offer your body. He says doesn't say offer your body as a dead sacrifice. He says offer your body as a living sacrifice. Because without the body, I cannot do the will of God. Yet my body can be the word stumbling block in doing the will of God. So listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 27 and try to apply it to what we learned these two days. 9 and 27, what Paul is saying. 1 Corinthians 9 and 27, yeah. I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Disqualified. Okay, read another version. KJV. I beat. But I discipline my body. Yeah, that same version. Almost, yeah. You know, I beat my and bring it to subjection, right? Basically, let me ask you this question. When Paul is saying, I am preaching, I'm preaching, 
But in the same time, I do something. I beat my body, I discipline my body and bring it to subjection. Let me ask you this question. How does he discipline his body? Fasting. That's the only way. Actually, the only way you can discipline your body is through fasting. Okay, there are other disciplines, minor disciplines, but the primary discipline to control your body is through fasting. Because when you start fasting, you start weakening your flesh and afflicting your soul, your body starts listening to what the spirit says. <coughs> That's what he's talking about. Fasting is the way prescribed in the Bible for all God's children, servants, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. That is why I'm saying, now you have, everybody has issues in their life. Today is the third day. If it in the third day you don't experience the, the, the deliverance, you go further. You go to the seventh day. Now in the seventh day, church officially may stop the fasting. You don't have to. I'm not going to stop on the seventh day. I may go to the 21st day. And at 21, it's still not coming through. I will go to the 40th day. Because my body is not what is important. The deliverance is what is important. The breakthrough is what is important. You are not going to look this as any religious ceremony. You have to look that, Lord, I've heard these things and this is what I want to. I want to do your will. And to do your will, the only way I can do your will is that I have to bring my body in subjection to your will. And if body can be my friend or my enemy... How does it become my friend? By fasting. How does it become my enemy? By feasting. Okay. So you have to look at it that way. That's what Apostle Paul is saying. I know I can preach. I got a gift. I can preach. But I also know I can be disqualified. Not dis, uh, thrown out of heaven. But disqualified in the race. Because you need to ask this question. Yes, you were saved by grace. And after that, why did he leave you here? I'll give you the title. Grace is for the race. That's why you have been left here after you got. He says, I have put you in a race. And at the end of the race, there's a crown. There's an inheritance. Unbelievable. And for that, I have given you grace. I have given you grace. And we are looking at it. How do you receive grace? And the Bible is very, very clear. God gives grace only to the humble. He will not go against his word. And I realize, you know what, Lord, humble my knee that I may hear your word, that I may listen carefully, like, you know, even through a child, even at any point in the day, any point during a Sunday morning service or whatever, any point God could speak to me. Any point God could speak to me. So, Lord, speak, Father, Lord, speak. Help me to be focused. Let me be not lost in myself and my thoughts, no Lord. Let me always be aware. You could be speaking any time. And when I am studying the word, I am not looking for just knowledge. I am looking for you to speak to me. You speak to me. Because that's where the breakthrough comes. One word of the Lord is enough. One word, like I told, no? Yes, it is easy to lift your hand. But you need to know when to lift your hand. No, went to how many times we have lifted our hands during Sunday morning service, nothing parted. <laughs> Yet, when God told Moses, lift your hand, and he lifted his hand with the rod, a red sea parted. Okay, so the thing is not lifting your hand, it is hearing from God when to lift your hand. And that's the first thing we hear about it. For God says, it's because you're unbelief. Second thing we hear about is this, that, you know, 
We have to have this attitude. I have, I have treasured, I have long desired for your word more than for my food. Okay? Now, that is the thing in, in our heart. That is in our heart, no? And consciously through fasting, and when you are studying the word of God along with fasting, because desires are created. You can change your desires. Can change your desires. Or you can be fixed in your desire too. None of us were born with the, our appetites, which the food which we like. Just like. Now that's why I say these babies, you know, if you teach them now and continuously to drink their milk without sugar, they will be sugar free. Because sugar is one of the greatest bondages of the 21st century, which creates most of our diseases. Diseases. Like I remember growing up in my grandfather's house, they hardly bought sugar. They hardly bought sugar. They hardly used sugar. Okay, but we are dependent. Sugar, that processed thing is almost in every food. And I believe that's causing much of the diseases which we have in our body. And you know what? Because when I was in Iflu, I saw my professor's children in the teenage going to school and I could see them drink their milk without sugar. They said we trained them that way right from babyhood. Okay, because these are all acquired things. Acquired things. So you can change your desires too. Okay, so when you are fasting, and if you just sit still without reading your word, you're not changing your desires. You can fast and long for the world still. But there is a emptiness that is created, a vacuum that is created by fasting. Don't leave it empty. Fill it with the word. Fill it with the word. Even when you go from here, continuously fill it with the word. What happens? Three days, seven days, 21 days, after some time, you will be able to lay, actually say like the psalmist, you know what? I crave for your word more than my food. Automatically, when you wake up in the morning, the first thing that you go for is the word. You know, yes, you may have your coffee, your tea in your left hand, but in your right hand, you have the word because it, it's a desire has changed. A hunger has been created. Okay, because these are spiritual disciplines and it is little by little by little. So if you do both together, it becomes powerful. You fast and you feast on God. You fast and you feast on God. And look at this incredible man called Moses. He is fasting and he's feasting on God. Fasting and feasting on God. And 40 days later when he comes down, he's coming down with the law of God. Okay? He's coming down with the law of God. But what is interesting is, it is called the law of Moses. It is the law of God. But it has become the law of Moses. And scripture is said, God gave. But scripture records, law came through Moses. Okay, came through me. Because he has become the vessel and what it contains, the container and the ingredients have become one. Has become one. Okay, that's what he's talking about. He was not just fasting. He was feasting. Down in the gap camp, they were feasting. And they were feasting and they ultimately became like their idol. Because Moses is gone. And you will see they have become exactly like what they were feasting. What they were worshipping. So all they wanted was a calf. Make a calf. Because the calf was already inside. Now they wanted to come outside. Okay, You need to realize. no, None of us makes any choices in random. What is inside is coming out. Okay, So you have to identify your golden calf. 
okay, and kill those calves. Okay, don't tell it loudly outside, but quietly kill those calves. Okay. Okay. So understand, fasting is the only way, primarily, or the most important way by which you can bring your body to subjection body to subjection and also afflict your soul and these are long term goals so we are not talking about fasting for 7 days at the end of the year i'm talking about a personal discipline a per- because like we are not in the countryside we are in the city so we cannot have 21 day fast because people will not be able to come even if they are able to come they will not come okay because until your mindset changes with the word you will not come because Jesus said you have to see where your treasure is because wherever your treasure is you are willing to make sacrifices and if you don't see that treasure in the kingdom of God you don't see value in fasting you don't see value in prayer you don't see value in hearing the word you don't see value but when you see value you will put you will put value over there okay I mean honestly if you go through history of churches and people you will realize this is what is happening okay Somebody could actually come for three days fasting and prayer, understand what it is, and start practicing it daily in their lives. They have, like Job, a hedge put around their house. Okay, Job had a hedge put around his house. The devil could not touch his home. Okay, devil could not touch his home, couldn't touch anything he has, because he put a hedge around there through fasting and praying and through sacrifices. Okay, now you don't do that. Now what happens? The enemy gets in. Now one member of your family is in the ICU. Now you have taken seven days without pay leave. And all the money you saved has gone into the doctors. And God says, did you see? Did you see? If only you had seen. I'm not saying just because you come here, you are protected. You have to put into practice what is being heard into your lifetime of discipline. Okay, God says, did you see? The enemy came and took it away. Because you could have put a hedge, but you removed the hedge and the enemy came in and bit. And all is gone. You know, two years, two years of, I know people like that, you know. They will go sacrifice abroad. They work for two years. They make this much money. Last minute one telegram comes. This one is the hospital. They come. Two years entire savings is gone. Yet when you left, you are saying that I'm going to work for two years and then I'm going to save that money and I come back and here I'm going to be absolutely regular in the church. Mm -hmm. Never happened. Never happened. Never happened, okay? Because these are fundamental principles God is saying as your young people. If you put this into a discipline in your life, discipline in your life, you know, you will be able to come through. And one of the first ways you brought bring your body into subjection is through fasting. Because we need to receive all this because scripture says Jesus came with grace upon grace, grace upon grace. And you ask Jesus, how did you walk like that? How did you walk in victory? I mean, we will never able to have to carry Jesus' burden. (laughs) You had this burden, unbelievable burden on your shoulders and yet you walked like a free man. How did you? He will say the key was this one, my thinking, my thoughts. Everything was framed by my father's word. I did not come to do my will, 
I came to do his will. And even in the garden of Gethsemane, even if he asks, he will say, not my will, but your will. From the beginning till the end, my father's will. Second thing, he says, my life was defined by fasting and prayer. Therefore, see, you have to read what is unsaid. This kind will only, Lord, why couldn't we do it? He says, because of your unbelief. Very straight reply. Because of your unbelief. Because of your unbelief. Because he says, if you have faith as little as a mustard seed and you say this, nothing is impossible to the one who believes. But these kinds, he says, comes out only with fasting and prayer. So what is he say? I could drive this out, one, because of my faith and because I fast, because I pray. That's what he's saying. What you couldn't do, I could do, not because I'm special. Because I have access to stuff which you will never be able to. No. They're not saying that I am able to do this because of who I am. He says anybody can do that. That's the first thing he says. Anybody who believes, it is possible. But if you face a hurdle which is not possible through faith alone, he says there is step two and step three. And he says if you look into my life, that's my life pattern. The word fasting and prayer. Okay, He says fasting and prayer. So we have to look into these things and we have to decide, Lord, Help me, 2019, let it be a different year. Let it be a completely different year. Help me from, now I, what I learned till 31st, first onwards, help me. Or now itself, don't wait till first, little by little start. Help me to practice. Let's go back to Isaiah 58 and verse 6. We saw things, four things over there. Bands of bonds of wickedness, we saw that, okay, in us and in others. Bonds of wickedness, okay? The thing is that, you see, if I were to take Gopi and tie up his hands tightly and tie up his legs, will he be able to walk? Will he be able to do anything with his hands? Hands are tied, legs are tied. So he is not able to do anything. Why, are, why is it so visible? Because it is physical. Now, if your spiritual legs... And if physical hands are tied, are you able to walk with God? Are you able to serve God? Are you able to praise God? Are you able to worship God? See, lifting physical hands and lifting spiritual hands are two different things. Are you able to? No. Now in your mind's eye, see a picture. Okay. There are two people. Their hands are tied. Their feet are tied. And they are thrown into prison. At the midnight hour. Around them are all others. So hands are tied and feet are tied. In the physical they all look the same. But these two people in the spiritual realm. Their legs are free and the hands are free. Therefore they worship. And there is deliverance taking place. That's what God is talking about. If your spiritual hands and your spiritual feet are untied. Wherever you go. There will be worship in your life and the presence of God goes with you and there is deliverance taking place in the lives of others. It may not be so visible like in Philippi where the chains all fell off, doors and windows. Why is all those things men mentioned very clearly? Because of these disciples' life of fasting and prayer and abiding in the word of God, chains are falling off, windows are opening, doors are opening because everybody has been kept captive with layers of security. One, legs are, burned, are bound, hands are bound, windows are barricaded, 
gates are barricaded, everything falls open. That's why it is given in so much detail of what deliverance comes when you are going through this daily process, deliverance in the lives of others. Okay, so you have to see it that way, bands of wickedness, undoing heavy burdens, heavy burdens. Okay, Alicia, we saw yesterday, Ezra had a heavy burden. If somebody else may have a burden or you may have a burden, how do you break through? Because you have to go according to scripture. Look at scripture and say, Lord, there is this burden on my soul. And this burden, only you can do it. You can do it. And remember, his burden was connected with building the temple of the Lord. Well, our burden. Okay, maybe you start with a burden that is connected with your life. But from there, you should move. Yeah, now you have learned, oh, when I fasted and prayed, that burden was lifted. Hey, hey, that's great. Now let me start applying it to the burden that is in the house of God, in the temple of God. Then only God can speak to you those burdens. Otherwise, God cannot speak to you these burdens because spiritual burdens we will never know unless it is revealed to us. So when we start practicing these things little by little by little, God starts. The third thing we saw was, let the oppressed go free. We saw from Samuel, right? We saw from Samuel. And the next thing we see is, break every yoke. The fourth one we saw is, breaking the yoke. The yoke is different from the band of wickedness. Okay? The yoke is on your neck. The bands bind you. The yoke is on your neck. Scripture says it is to break every yoke. Every yoke. And the greatest yoke people have, everybody sitting here at one level or another, all of us, at one level or another, is the yoke of fear. It's a fear. Because that is what came in as soon as sin came in. Sin came in, death came in, they haven't experienced death yet, but the fear of death came. That's why when God, life comes in, they hide and they say we were afraid. Earlier when life came in, there was no fear of death. So they waited for God to come and they fellowshiped with him. But now when life comes in, they are running from life because the fear of death has come in. That is the prime, we call the primal fear of man is fear of death. Out of that arises every fear. So you will see in the Christmas story or the, the history of the Christmas story, what you see is when first you have the angel coming to Zachariah, first thing he says, fear not. Fear not. Then angel Gabriel goes to Mary and the first thing he says is, fear not. Then Jesus' birth is declared to the shepherd and the first thing he's told is, fear not. Don't have to worry. You don't have to fear anymore. The greatest yoke we face is fear, fear of the future. Fear of the future. Because sometimes, see, you can do the same thing. Outwardly the thing is right. But it can be motivated by fear or motivated by faith. You can be a student who studies hard day and night because you are so afraid of your future. Or you can be a student who studies hard because he's motivated by faith. Because God has something planned for me in the future. I don't know what it is. Therefore, I need to work hard now so that when that comes, it shouldn't pass my hands. It can be either by fear or by faith. And you have to look at it because faith is a yoke. It is not the yoke of Jesus because Jesus said, my yoke is light. It is a yoke of faith. It's light. But the yoke of fear is heavy. 
It never goes. You never feel the joy of studying. That's what Pastor Vijay keeps on telling, you know. You don't feel the joy of studying. Like studies was a yoke for me till class 12. Then in the 13th year, I got the first time in my life to make a choice for myself. Till then, your father or your elder brothers made your choices. Class school was chose, always chosen by your father. Then dad wasn't there. Class 11, they filled my application for plus two. Physics, chemistry, math. They decided too many doctors in the family. We don't need any more. You go for engineering. I had no choice. And I thank God, first attempt entrance, I didn't clear. They said, take science. Take commerce. Next year, you have to try again. I kept quiet, quietly when I applied for English. Nobody knew. The day I applied for English, that yoke left. I enjoyed my studies. Because that is something which I liked. No? Because studies shouldn't be a yoke. You should enjoy it. Because then, those days, I didn't know God. But you realize the fact. I apply for English. I get into the college. I get into, a month later, I get into the hostel. And then a week later, I get saved. Everything falls into place. Everything. Now I'm doing something which I like, and I realize God likes me. <laughs> which I never knew. You have no clue what I was. I used to grow my hair, wear my locks like Krishna. That was my favorite God. I never prayed to Christ. You ask, my parents were very secular, nothing at all. I had Krishna in my bedroom as a child. And I read the Mahabharata and Ramayana ever before I knew there was a Bible. I knew it by heart. I read it through the night. And in in Kerala, thank God, God protected me because I was planning to go to Shabrimala. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's how you are brought up by parents who are very secular in their thinking. Pick your religion as you go, it's up to you. Okay, God protected me, saved me and brought me out. So you remember, these are all yokes which you carry. And the yoke of fear, it has to be. We know know that portion very well. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Through the fear of death, the enemy has kept lifelong everybody captive. Because you see, into everything there is a death element involved. If I don't study hard, my career will die. Okay. If I don't get married before this time, then my marriage will. Everything there is this. After the fall, death came in. And death touches every area of our life. The spirit of death touches everything. And that is where the fear comes. Not in death itself. It's the fear of death that scares people. The fear of death. Actually, if death is painless, right? If everybody you hear, oh, you know that? Everybody died laughing, nobody would be afraid of death. Why are all women afraid of delivery? They love children, they are worried about delivery because of the pain. So everybody, nobody wants to have a normal delivery. Everybody will say, put that thing in, please. I give you my spine. (laughs) Because I don't want to whine. Okay? It's, it's that pain. That's what he's talking about. It is the fear of death is the fear of the pain of death. People are very, very scared. One, the uncertainty what lies on the other side because nobody except Jesus has come back and told us what it is like. Nobody has told us. Uncertainty on that other side. Second, false religion which tells you, oh, your karma will make you a rat next year. <laughs> 
And you are very scared because last week in the newspaper you show in Barpeta that village where they sell fried rats, boiled rats. And you say, oh my gosh, if I die, I become a rat, somebody will be eating me. No. <laughs> that is why devout Hindus pray that if I am born in my next life, let me be a cow. Because I am... Oh, that too in India. Not anywhere else. Other places you are eaten. Yeah. Okay, you need to realize it is all got to do with death. Everything is got to do with death. This fear of death enslaves man. And God says here, when you fast, let it break that yoke. Whatever is your fear, let that yoke be broken. And God says, I have not given you the spirit of fear. I have not given you the spirit of fear. Not given you the spirit of fear. This is a yoke, and this yoke is connected with every facet of life. Now hold it over there in Isaiah 58 and read, because you want, you also have to see this. Once I'm released from that yoke, how do I know I'm released from the yoke? Ah, this is spiritual, right? <laughs> this is spiritual. So if it is spiritual, only the spiritual will give me awareness that this yoke is broken over my life or it's hardly there in my life because it is only spiritually discerned. And the only thing that is of the spirit that I have in my hand is the word of God. Because Jesus said my word is spirit. Now you go to Isaiah 58 and you come to verse 7. You read at this verse 6 and then you see its result in verse 7. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? This is what Jesus is saying. Let's look at Mark 14 and verse 7, what Jesus says. Mark 14 and verse 7. You have the poor with you? Whenever you wish you may do them. What is the actual physical result of genuine spiritual and physical fasting as a discipline in your lifetime? You release resources to take care of others. If I eat one meal less, that much money is saved to take care of somebody else. If I decided three or four or five pairs of clothing is enough, that much money is is saved to take care of others. God says fasting will show in your life. The simplicity of life, you will receive it as your as your lifetime discipline. And not only that, now resources are released to take care of who? The poor, the naked, the wanderer. That is how resources come in the kingdom of God. Do you see it happening in the book of Acts? You see it happening in the book of Acts because you know what? They have taken a discipline of fasting in every area of your life, not just food alone. Every area of your life. And suddenly you look at that and God says, hey, I can trust this man. I can trust this woman. And God keeps on giving and they keeps on giving out. And you realize like the song says, you actually have become a channel of blessing. What I'm telling you is God will not trust people who don't fast. God could give, if Jesus could come, I have come with grace upon grace. What was his lifestyle like? 
What was his lifestyle like? That is what 8 is talking about. He says, Oh Israel, you are fasting and you are mad at me. But everybody around you is hungry. Did you feed anybody? Did you feed anybody? No, you didn't. Because you had two tins of rice. You fasted, but you keep the tin tin full and kept it there so that when you finish your fasting, you can have four meals. (laughs) You didn't feed anybody. You didn't feed anybody. He says, I gave you resources. You hoarded it up for yourself. Because you didn't really believe me. You didn't believe. That's why in the Bible, Paul talks about a statement which Jesus makes, which is not there in the gospel. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Why is it more blessed to give than to receive? Because you have understood the kingdom. You have understood the kingdom. You have understood the kingdom. Okay. Giving is in fasting and giving is how much you save on resources. You think about, think about anybody sitting over here. Let us say Samir. Samir has, uh, Samir, uh, can I ask your age? No problem. You're not, you're not advanced in years, no? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let us say 30. I'll put him at Jesus here, okay? 30. He's only 30. Like, he's only 30. Oh, if you have a calculator, you can take it out. He's only 30. Let us say he lives till 80. That's how many years? 50 years. In a year, how many days? In a day, how many meals? He decides to take off one meal. Let us say on average that meal costs 50 rupees. Calculated. Just do it on a calculator. Pastor Vijay, the mathematics. Calculate it. Huh? No. Because people have to be taught in terms of money to understand value. Because in this world it is money that is... Vijay will calculate in two minutes. Yeah. Huh? 9 lakh, 12,500. Did you see? 9 lakh? Almost 10 lakh rupees. I'm putting an average of 50 rupees. You don't get anything for 50 rupees. <laughs> if it is 100, 20 lakhs. 100? With 20 lakhs, do you know how many, how many orphans can be fed a year? Clothes, educated and fed a year, 20 lakhs? Because you chose one meal to give away and take that money and put it into something else. Do you see how the kingdom works? Now, I'm not talking in terms of meal alone. Not talking about meal alone. I'm talking about fasting as a spiritual discipline. Spiritual discipline. Listen to what uh, um, John the Baptist says in Luke chapter 2, verses 36 and 37. Now there was one, Anna, Anna, a prophet. Oh, sorry, sorry, not, not that one, not that one, not that one. Not Luke 2, I think. In <laughs> you are a pure Telugu. <laughs> Luke 3, Luke 3, 19 to 13. <laughs> it is okay. We should not deny our roots, right? That's why once in a while I say humble, simple, able, noble, so that you know where I am from. <laughs> uh, we cannot forget our roots, no? Though God may lay the axe at the roots, yet we should not forget our roots. Yeah, read that. No, no, Luke, Luke 3. Or is it Matthew? No, no, not 19. New, uh, Luke 3 verse 9. Yeah, yeah, Luke 3 verse 9. 
As soon as they heard about the axe and being cut off, they said, what should we do? That we are not thrown into the fire. What should we do? Now read. He says, did you see that? Did you see that? So this is how the kingdom works. You have two tunics. Well, those days, people had only two. The rich had two or three. The poor had only one. Or one and a half. That's how they were. Okay, he says, if you have two, give it to the one. The next verse. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Likewise. Then tax collector also came to be baptized and said to them, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Yeah, don't collect more than what is appointed for you. You see, suddenly the kingdom has got works, action. Next. Likewise the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. With your pay. That's what he's telling to the policeman. Be content with your wages. Because if you're not content with your wages, what will you do? You will take a bribe. Everywhere the kingdom of God is real. It is real. He says, it is, he says, in this sin-laden world, it is when kingdom people live as the kingdom teaches that the righteousness of God spreads. That is why the people in Jerusalem looked around and said, these people are different. Yet they were all Jewish believers. They were all Jews earlier. Now they are Christians. And nobody is calling them Jews. They are calling them Christians because they said their way is different. And they were called the people of the way. People of the way. You know? Until we start appropriating these principles and say, this is what fasting means. Fasting is not a three-day thing or a seven-day thing or a 40-day thing. That can be for a particular kind of a breakthrough. But in the Bible, fasting is spiritual. It's spiritual. Your hands are unbound. Your feet are unbound. Because the first thing, God, two things God tells Moses to tell the Pharaoh about releasing Israel is, Israel is my firstborn son. Let him go that he may worship me. Let him go that he may serve me. For these two things, your feet and your hands have to be unbound. Both to worship and both to serve. And fasting is a proof that you are unbound. You are bound. You are absolutely content with the simplicity of life. Yet, you are not hoarding. You are investing in his kingdom. Look at what the Bible says. In Proverbs chapter 11. And verse 24 and 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the more richer. One gives freely, yet... Grows all the more. Yeah. Another withholds what he should give mm. and only suffers want. Only suffers want. And verse 25. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. Enriched. And whoever waters others will himself be watered. Watered. It's a fundamental principle of the kingdom. And you look at Luke 3 verse... Uh, uh, Luke 3... And not the three, sorry, look two. Thirty-six and thirty-seven. Anna, the yeah. And there was a prophetess Anna, 
the daughter of Peluel of the tribe of Asia. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer, night and day. And day. She's a widow. She has no relatives, no children, entirely dependent upon the food you get in the temple. Yet she gave her entire life over to God and for the kingdom in fasting and in prayer. Fasting and prayer. You know, when I preach the same thing in the in the Nepali church, and then the other Nepali churches heard it over there, one of the reports that came back was that in one of our churches, there was an old lady who is a widow and in her sick bed. When she heard what I said, she said, the Lord spoke to me and said, you thought you were useless. Spend the rest of your life on your bed fasting and praying for my church. You still have something to give. Something to give. Now think about it. Think about it. Do you think people don't have something to give to the kingdom of God? Yes. You are living there in the temple courts. You are not allowed to go anywhere. You have nobody to take care of you. You will get your meal anywhere because there is food for the widows over there. But what are you going to do with your life? Scripture says... She spent 86 years or more. Actually, the translation, different kinds of translations are there because it's not very clear what it actually means. Some theologian says she was a widow for 86 years and her actual age was 105. And Simeon's age, church history, tradition says was 112. God spoke to a 105-year-old woman and a 112-year-old man. Okay. Need to realize because they had given their life over for the end. That is a life of fasting. Life over to the worship of God. And you know, you look at these people and you, what do you think the rewards are in heaven? What do you think the rewards are in heaven? So what you do is that when you look at these things and say, Lord, I want to start small. I want to start small. I want to give. I want to give. I want to pray in my giving. I want to in my fasting, I want to give. And these are the three things which Jesus said. He didn't say if. He said when you pray. He said when you give. He said when you fast. These three things in your personal life, he said, let it be secret. Because when it is secret and when it is consistent, it becomes your life. Now we are doing it in public because we are public in the sense in the this ambience of a church, but it has to be personal in your life where you're constantly giving yourself in prayer, in fasting, and in giving in secret. And then God says, he who dwells in thee, because everybody has asked me this question. Psalm 91 says, he who dwells in the most high. How do you dwell? How do you first reach there? I said, there's one clue Jesus has said how you reach that place. It's in your secret giving, in your secret prayer life, in your secret fasting. He says, your father, that is the secret place. That's how you dwell in this secret place. When you dwell in that secret place, you're always serving and you're all worshipping. Paul and Silas are worshipping in the prison, but their worship was turned into a service and all the prisoners were set free. And at the end of the day, the jailer is baptized, his family is baptized because their worship and service goes together. They're never separated. Israel is set free not to worship alone. Israel is set free to serve him. Israel is not set free to serve him alone. Israel is set free to worship him. And that's why we fast. That's why we pray. But start small. Children, start, start small. Start, start small. And as a close for today, I want to tell you, 
one very the more more interesting than any one of these things than any one of these things is uh, Ma, I'm trying to remember the words. I think it's Mark 2.20. Yeah, Mark 2.18. 2.20. Uh, anybody who reads needs to have a voice like Pastor Vijay. Microphone swallowed at birth. <laughs> Come, Pastor Vijay. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Okay, so remember, everybody fasts. Everybody fast. Even the Pharisees' disciples also fasted. Like I said yesterday, Hindus fast, Muslims fast, Buddhists fast, Christians fast, Jews fast. Everybody fast. So it's fasting doesn't make you different. It's why you fast, what motivates you to fast, and the result of your fast. Pharisees were fasting, John's disciples were fasting, and then? Uh, and they said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. In that day. Okay. They asked you a very interesting question. They said, Everybody is fasting. Why are your disciples not fasting? He said, Why should they fast? I'm with them. I'm with them. Okay, they don't need to they don't have to fast because I'm with them. But he says, When I am taken, they will. So, what does it mean? What does fasting do? Fasting is the process through which you actually experience the presence of God in your life. So, they don't have to fast. My presence is there with them always. But a time will come when I will go. Then they will have to fast if they want that same closeness. That's why after 10 days of fasting and prayer, the Holy Spirit fell. And they took that as their lifestyle. They fasted consistently and prayed and they always knew what the presence of God was. So we have to look at different parts of scriptures to understand what is my motivation. Yes, it starts with a little trouble in your life. Start there. Children, maybe I am struggling with Telugu. I am struggling with math. Okay, start there. That's fine. Start there. Experience your victory and realize, hey, this is an incredible tool in the kingdom of God. I'm going to appropriate and go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in it. And you will see through the Bible. Through the Bible. Yes, like we saw yesterday when they fasted, the Philistines came. Okay. Scripture doesn't say anywhere in the place where the devil personally came to Jesus until he fasted. When he fasted, the devil came. So don't expect, oh, when I fast, God will come. He says, I will come, so will the devil. <laughs> so we prepared for both. That's what I said, be prepared for both. The Philistines came, the devil came. But if your motivation is right, and the purpose is right, and it's about the kingdom, God breaks through for us. Amen?